Hiring the wrong people for your team can hurt your business. Did you know that the average cost per hire in the United States is around $4,000? It's a process that takes a lot of time, and when someone doesn't match the culture and mission of the organization, you start losing money by the minute. The good news is that there are proven methods that help you get the right candidate on board the first time. In our upcoming masterclass, Don't Just Hire, Hire Right, I'll explain how to conduct an effective behavioral interview. By the end of the masterclass, you'll be able to plan, prepare, and conduct a high-quality interview, ensure the process is consistent, fair, and legal, and hire the right candidate for your company. Save the date, August 23rd, 2023, at 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Please find the link to register in the show notes or go to our website, Gerard Training Solutions, for more info on this and more masterclasses. So we, we sort of give people that awareness to start with and say, okay, as you're sitting there, you're going to be able to listen much faster than the person's talking. And you're going to be able to think far quicker than the person is talking. So your challenge in listening is really to be focused and concentrate. Right? So rather than allowing your own thoughts to flood your mind and to take over. So we give you these four levels. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Management Development Unlocked. I am really glad you're here. I'm coming to you this week from Ashland, Oregon, instead of my usual Polesbow, Washington. While you still have your device in your hand, I'd like to ask three favors, please. Number one, please subscribe to the show. Number two, please share the show with just one other person. And number three, please go to GerardTrainingSolutions.com and download my free ebook on becoming a manager. Today, I am pleased to have Wayne Brown with me. Wayne, welcome to the show. Who are you and what do you do? Well, first of all, thank you, Eric. Great to be on the show and uh, really looking forward to our conversation. Well, who am I? I'm, I'm a gray-haired gentleman. Your listeners probably can't see me, but 63 years old, sitting in Shanghai, China at the moment. and I'm an executive coach. I've been for a number of years, but also very heavily involved in learning and development. And our organization is called Skills for Executives, although I spend most of my time in one of the divisions under that, which is coaching for companies. So uh, we'll, we'll probably refer back to that at some point today, but that's who I am and what I do. Beautiful. Great. Thank you. Wayne, I love the fact that you focus on coaching. I think that that's really key for managers, especially new managers to get. So I'm going to dive deep into that with you. So we're going to focus today on learning to coach and leveraging this as a core leadership strength. Wayne, my first question is about listening. So a key coaching skill is listening. How can you prepare yourself for listening before you sit down to coach an employee? Yeah, great, great question, Eric. So we have a program that we run for new leaders to introduce them to coaching. And you know, one of the things that a lot of coaching programs talk about is the need for listening. The thing that we find they miss is that as an individual, if you just sit down and, and try and start listening without doing some preparatory steps, then you often aren't ready. So we, we talk about five things, um, and very quickly, I won't go into detail, but we talk about 
the need to do your own mindfulness checking, which means sit down and consider you know, what, what is it that you're there for? What is it you want to get out of this? And really get yourself centered and focused. Second thing we talk about is making sure you remove distractions. So turning off the phone, shutting down the computer, whatever's around you, even trying to block yourself from other people interrupting you. Third and fourth are, are pretty much hand in hand. They're, they're more neuro-focused. So drinking water, make sure that you're hydrated and you, you stay energized, as well as taking three deep breaths to really send a signal to your brain and provide the oxygen needed. But to say, you know, I've got this, I'm calm, I'm relaxed, and, and body-wise, I'm ready. And then the, th the final thing is your body language itself. So as you sit there across from the person you're coaching, the aim is that you're giving off the right signals just as much as you're looking for their signals. You want to make sure that you're presenting yourself in the right manner for those people. So they're the five things we talk about when we talk about the preconditions or preparing to listen. You know, one of the things I want to come back to is something you said early on in your remark, and, and that is that whole piece about mindfulness and, and how important it is mm. to, to calm and center yourself. Can you go a little deeper into how a new manager might practice mindfulness without, without necessarily going off and, and taking a mindfulness course or, you know, learning how to meditate? You know, these are all things that, that I've tried mm. and have failed miserably at because I'm way too hyperactive. But how can a busy manager use mindfulness techniques to calm themselves on a daily basis so that they can be a good listener when it's required? Yeah, it, it, it's a practiced art, I would have to say. It's not something that comes naturally to most people. So that's why it is so important to try and, and do before you try and coach or, or do anything in, in that regard. The, the aim really is to be able to step back. So step back from the busyness, as you mentioned, and really just start to think about what is it I'm about to do and try and channel your focus and your concentration towards that activity. And you need to practice it. You're going to get flooded with a whole raft of different thoughts and uh, things are going to come. But the more you practice, the better you're going to get at it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a little bit of a croaky throat today. I've been talking too much. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where the, the more you do it, the better you get at it. So don't give up after the first few attempts and you find that it's not going so well. Try and persevere. But the aim is really to remove yourself from the busyness that's all around you so that you can start to really think about why are you there? What are you about to do? What's the purpose behind that? And what, what are you hoping to get out of it? What are you hoping to deliver as a result of it? And so by focusing that attention, you start to channel your, your thoughts and your energy towards that, that activity that's coming up. Sorry if it's not an absolute statement there. It's a very gray area. And it takes practice. No, and I, I think that was helpful. I think it's it's useful for folks to know that it is a gray area, that it's a little fuzzy, but that it takes practice. And and you're you're encouraging me to actually go back in and maybe try a mindfulness practice again. Mm. 
because I, I I know I could use it. I've got I've got some gremlins yelling at me in my <laughs> head. So yeah, okay, wonderful. Continuing on where we're talking about listening, yeah. What are the four levels of deep listening? Again, we we could spend the next three hours, four hours talking about this. So I get to really scratch the surface, Eric. And um, when when we first start listening, we're really only getting the content. We're only getting that overview, that surface level of information. And we have to be mindful of that. In our program, we, we actually give a number of formulas or rules, if you like. And one of them is, I won't go into the detail, but we, we call it the 25, 125, 400, 900 rule. And it just means as listeners, we can, we can write around 25 words a minute. We can speak, and it's very dependent on the individual, but we can speak somewhere between 125 and 150 words a minute. Some fast speakers speak at 220, 250, but the average person's around 125 to 150. We can listen at around 400 words a minute, and we can think at around 900. Some people think much faster. Some people think slower. So we, we sort of give people that awareness to start with and say, okay, as you're sitting there, you're going to be able to listen much faster than the person's talking. And you're going to be able to think far quicker than the person is talking. So your challenge in listening is really to be focused and concentrate, right? So rather than allowing your own thoughts to flood your mind and to take over. So we give you these four levels. The first, as I started to say, was you're really listening for the content. What is the big picture that they want to introduce? Now, at this stage, we also suggest that people listen for the language pattern. So just as you're from a learning background, so just as we talk about learning styles, we also reflect those learning styles. If, if you believe in learning styles, we also reflect those three core audio, visual, kinesthetic. We also reflect those in our language. And so when we're listening, we're looking for what is the descriptive language that they use so that if we want to connect back with them more effectively, we use that language back with them. So if the person says, you know, I can see lots of things going on. So they're, they're much more visual. So I might respond. So when you see that, you know, what, blah, 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 right? So you're trying to make that connection. So that's the first thing in listening. The second thing is then to start looking at their body language, to start looking for the emotions and the mood that they're bringing to that discussion. Now, this takes a lot of practice, of course, as does everything, but what you're looking for is, you know, is there something that may be derailing them that you can see that they're not saying, but you can see it in their actions, in their behaviors. So you're looking for that at the same time as listening to their content level, the surface level. And then the third thing is, again, a very useful practice that we all should be doing, right? And that is to start to try and summarize or paraphrase or clarify once they've said something. So if somebody, like I'm talking with you, you're listening to me, you might say back, so if I understood you correctly, Wayne, this is what you said. Now, 
why we're doing that is we want to make sure that our interpretation of their meaning is correct, right? Or that we've taken the message as they intended it to be, right? So that's the third thing that we want to make sure that we're able to do. I have a great story, and I, I won't go into it, but Henry, an eight-year-old boy, comes running home, sees his mother and says, Mum, Mum, today we learned about the vision, and we learned that eight divided by two equals three. And his mother shakes her head and says, Henry, 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 I don't know what's going on at that school, but obviously they're not teaching you the right thing. Sit down, let me show you how it works. Eight divided by two equals four. And she pulls out the M&Ms from the cupboard and she puts them on the counter. And then Henry's watching and unperturbed, he hops up in the chair and he grabs a piece of paper and he draws the figure eight and then he folds the paper in half and he holds it up and says, look, mum, see, eight divided by two is three. Right? So the, the meaning behind that is, had she taken the time to really go back and ask why, to understand, she would have got his message. She would have really understood what they were doing. But she jumped to her conclusions, her biases kicked in, and therefore she stopped listening. Right? And she started to make her assumptions. And that comes back to that formula that we, that I spoke about. You know, our brain is so active. We have our own meanings that we apply to everything we hear instantly. And it's not always correct. Um, and I won't go into all that. We could spend a long time talking about that. And then the final thing, of course, is the unsaid. And this is where we need to really unravel the context. This is where we need to get into what they're not saying that they probably want to say. And as the coach, we have to then start to ask more questions. What else? So what else can you tell me? I'm interested in what you've said. What else might there be that you haven't said so far that you would like to share? And so they're the four levels that we like to talk about in our case when we're doing our coaching and, and the four levels of deep listening. Wow, that's amazing. I love the example of the of the kid mm. and the eight divided by two. That's I I was going down the same path as the mother. Yeah. <laughs> what are they teaching you in math class? Uh, oh, wonderful. Well, thank you for that. Moving on, questioning is also key to coaching. Mm. So we've got listening and we've got questioning, the two hallmarks of coaching. What are the why, what, and how of asking powerful questions? Yeah. So again, this could be a big topic, but <laughs> You've probably all heard about open and closed questions. All right. And what we try and get people to understand as they're coaching, particularly as they're coming into entry level coaching. So we try and simplify it as much as possible. But there's three words that we like to use, right? And why, what, and how. Now, what we tend to lean towards and we suggest to people is, all three of those words can be open questions. You can use all three as an open question. We suggest, of course, that people try and avoid the why out of those three because it may be confrontational, depending on how well and how um, skilled you are in framing your question. You may inadvertently start to challenge the person you're coaching. And, of course, once that happens, people get defensive, they shut down, and the conversation loses its effectiveness. So first of all, we want to ensure people are asking open-ended questions for the majority of the time. It's not to say that closed questions aren't useful. 
It's when you use them. So we have a rule of thumb. 80% of the time, we look for people to ask open-ended questions. And then when we want to confirm, summarize, clarify, we tend to be more closed questions. So is it correct? This is what I heard you say, blah, blah, blah. Yes or no? It's a closed question. But for the rest of the time, what is it that you want to talk about? Open-ended. And how does that look for you in the future? So basically the why, what, and the how that we talk about here is try and avoid as a, as a new coach in particular, as a young manager coming into the, the leadership role, try and avoid the use of the word why to start your questions until you get more skilled in dealing with people and, and understanding you know, the impact you may have with your words. Avoid why. Use what as a, as a great opening question and how I often use how more for looking to the solutions, looking to the future, if you like. You know, how will that play out for you in the future? What is it you're wanting? How might you approach it? Right. So that's, that's how we introduce the questioning part as a beginning for people to start to understand. Oh, amazing. And I love how you're taking a subset of the journalistic questions yes. that every journalism student is 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 taught. Yep. Wonderful. Well, there are lots of coaching models out there, mm. lots of ways you can do it. Yep. Tell me about your favorite coaching models. Wow. So I need to put a caveat here, right? So the more experienced you become in coaching, the less you rely on models. Now, the reason that most programs, coaching programs, introduce coaching models is as you're starting to learn to coach, this is a really nice framework to act as your support safety net, if you like. So you can follow a structure in asking a series of questions. You can sort of work through the process to make sure you really provide some value. So I grew up in my coaching experience with the clear model as opposed to a lot of people that learn about grow. So grow is probably the most common model used around the world. Grow is an acronym, four words, goal, reality, options. And then the last word varies depending on who's introducing it. It could mean will, it could mean the way forward, it could mean, you know, what are you going to do going forward? But that's that's the grow model. The clear model is, for me, a little bit of a variation on it, but it provides the first word of the acronym of the, of the acronym CLEAR. Well, first of all, five words, contracting, listening, exploring, action, and review. For me, the contracting is the most critical for coaching. And um, I learned under one of the gurus of, Coaching, um, Mr. Peter Hawkins or Professor Peter Hawkins, uh, has been in the industry. It's actually his model, right? Uh, he, he put together the clear model and he, he has a saying, always be contracting. If you're in sales, it'll always be closing. In coaching, it's always be contracting. And so that's the model that I use. But as you said, Eric, there's an infinite number of coaching models that you could use. You know, there's, there's just, if you do a search on Google, you'll find hundreds. Yeah. It's what really works for you and what you're comfortable with. 
uh, Clear is the one that I. I've never heard of Clear before. I I use and teach Grow myself, mm. but I like Clear and the emphasis on contracting. Like, yeah. what are we going to do? What are we going to be? Con- What's the outcome that you want? Yep. How is this going to go? Yep. I think that that's really important because I can think of instances where the contract hasn't been clear mm. and the out, the outcome wasn't good exactly. because the upfront work wasn't done. And so when it came to a crisis point, there was no agreement on how to handle the crisis. Mm. So Precise, yeah. yeah, excellent. Beautiful. Well, transitioning to the next piece here. Do you have a product or a service you'd like to plug? Well, our approach is every month we release a campaign and we have a series of products and therefore we release a product with that campaign. And depending on when your show airs, probably the best product would be we have a quarterly challenge. And so the next challenge that's coming up is a two-day challenge. We have a series of challenges or four challenges a year fluctuating between two days to five days. One that's coming up in August, I believe, is a two-day challenge focused on facilitation. And it's it's really to give people an awareness that you can become better at facilitating. I'm just trying to recall exactly what it's called, but I think it's something like learn two key stages in achieving facilitation mastery. It's free. You have the option of becoming a VIP member, but if people are interested and they want to, they want to join, then probably go to our website. We'll be promoting it around about that time. You'll be able to go to a landing page and, or a site page and find out more about it and see where to register. But yeah, that would be something if people are interested in learning how to facilitate better. And certainly I would say for your audience as new managers, Understanding how to become a better facilitator is one of those core skills that all leaders need to be able to have. So definitely a very useful opportunity. So if people are interested, that would be one that I would suggest would be a good fit. Oh, you're speaking my love language when you're talking about facilitating. (laughs) I I love it. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, moving on to the lightning round, we have a few questions for you that are just slightly more personal. Nothing shocking, nothing that will set you back on your heels. The first question is, if the seats were reversed and you could interview anyone, who would it be and why? Mm. It's a great question. I asked it just the other day with one of one of my guests. I, I've had a mentor for most of my career that I met when I was in my early 30s. So I'm 63 now, so 30 years ago. I met him once, Tony Robbins, you know, love or hate the guy. He's been extremely successful in what he does. And a lot of his wisdom I've adopted myself. So I would love to bring him onto my show as as one of my guests. That would be quite a show. Because <laughs> he's just such a presence. I mean, he's a big, big guy. And with that big, deep voice. Six feet, yeah. six feet seven. And interesting Tidbit is he's one month older than I am. So I have that on okay. my sleeve, right? So I can always call him the older guy in the room. So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. All right. My next, my next lightning round question for you is what is your favorite vacation spot and why? Mm. Given where you live, I can't wait to hear the answer to this one. <laughs> well, I, I'm a nomad. I'm a, 
entrepreneurial, corporate nomad, have been for most of my career. So I've lived and worked around the world. I'm currently 18 years now in Asia, based out of Shanghai and Hong Kong. My favorite destination, and I would love to live there longer, is Madrid in Spain. And I had the the luxury of traveling there several times a year for a number of years. There's just something about it I love. The history is fantastic. The atmosphere, the environment. It's got the world's oldest restaurant, which I love frequent. So, yeah, that's my favorite location. But Spain as a whole, great country. If you're ever looking for somewhere to go and visit, great country. Look, I, I love traveling everywhere. And I love the experience of going somewhere and meeting people and cultures that I've never encountered before. I I spent three years traveling backwards and forwards monthly to India and got the pleasure of working with people all over the subcontinent, which is a fantastic experience. I've lived in Germany for a number of years and and traveled Europe extensively. Worked a lot in the US, so you know it's it's in my blood. So, but Spain is my my favorite country, and Madrid would be my city. Oh, that's cool. I have been to Shanghai, and I've been to Bangalore, and took a day trip outside of Bangalore to, to visit some temples. And so, I didn't just see the city; I I got out of the city and saw what what it's like out in the more rural areas, and it was very eye opening. Yeah. Very. Yeah, I want my kids to have that experience because they only know what they know about suburban Seattle and you know some of the places that we've been to. We've been to to vacation spots in Mexico, but they haven't really gone into the more rural areas to really experience what life is like for folks outside the U.S. And I think they need to see that. It's it's so eye-opening. So I'm Australian. I don't know if you can pick up my accent, but I'm Australian. I can remember... My first trip out of Australia was when I was about 18, and it it really just embedded in me. It was to Hong Kong, by the way, and it really just Mm -hmm. embedded in me that, wow, there's a world outside of something that I've never never even thought about. And it started, it opened the floodgates, basically, and I I just haven't stopped. Oh, yeah. I, I lived in Sydney and Brisbane for a couple of years. And, you know, you get there, and it's like it's lovely and exotic and cool, and then I started to get used to it. You know, Sydney especially is very like San Francisco. Yeah. The geography, the way that you've got the bay and the harbor yeah. kind of influencing everything. So I started getting really comfortable. And then something would come out of nowhere and whop me upside the head. Some cultural difference would come and surprise me greatly. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm in a different country. I'm, in the, I'm on the other side of the world. Yeah. So don't forget that. Yeah. All right, my last question for you, Wayne. This has been lovely. What brings you the most joy in your life? Well, family, family for sure. But you know, I, I I'm a very diverse guy, which is why I'm enjoys being such a nomad. I love being around people that are curious. So one of one of the values or characteristics I'm trying to embed in my my daughter's mind as she grows she's eight years old so i'm trying to really help her to understand the value of being curious so i love spending time with her and watching her evolve as a person and and really start to 
see different opportunities. So, you know, she speaks three languages, given that where she was born here in China, my wife is Chinese, um, so she grew up in the Chinese culture. She speaks English, of course, and then she speaks a third language, but she, she's now talking about she wants to speak Spanish. So I, I love the fact that she's open-minded and curious, and therefore I love spending a lot of time with her and my wife, of course. What really brings a lot of joy to me is when we're traveling. So, you know, we, we, get, we all get into our rut or our routines in our daily existence. And I find when we're traveling, we can't help but become curious because the world is so different, as you mentioned, right? As you're in each different location, if you're just able to pause and and look around you for a moment, you'll see that life is so different everywhere and it just feeds that curiosity. So that would be my my answer to to your question, a little bit long-winded, but spending time with my family on vacation, traveling, in a foreign country. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I completely agree. I, I I really enjoy hanging out with my kids and watching them grow. I've got twin 14-year-old daughters, wow. and they're super smart, super curious. Of course, they're 14, so they're very opinionated, but they're just it's just so much fun, you know, and, and kind of think about the journey of the last 14 years. No, it's a great life. It's, it's one that I'm so blessed from my side to be able to enjoy at this age and, and now that I'm stepped now that I've stepped away from the corporate world and I'm really just focused on my, my own company and I can channel my efforts and energy where I want to, I can spend a lot more time with with the family. So really blessed in that regard. Excellent. Well I'm I'm glad for you. That's important. Thank you. All right. Well Wayne, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. So really enjoyed that. How can people find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, look, I'm on LinkedIn. So if you search Wayne Brown, you'll probably find a lot of Wayne Brown. So I put as a suffix on the end of my address or URL or whatever you want to call it in LinkedIn, coach. So if you search Wayne Brown or the coach, uh, you'll probably find me. The website where I'm most active is coaching for companies. That's the number four, all one word, so coachingforcompanies.com. You'll find a huge amount of free material on there if, if you want to do some learning and development as new managers. That's also the area that I'm very heavily focused on, not only new managers, but you'll find a lot of material there. So they would be probably the two locations. And then you can connect with me via both those avenues. So, yeah, look, I, I would love to hear from anyone that uh, – yeah, is interested in growing. That's uh, what you and I are all about, Eric. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for listening. I really appreciate you being here. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at GerardTrainingSolutions.com. 